Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. To learn more about Anchor Church, go to www.anchorchurch.life. A couple weeks ago, uh, right after the service, we're tearing down, and over in this area over here, there were a couple of our anchor kids, and they were um, talking, and you could see them. They were like back-to-back, and then then having a heated discussion, and then back-to-back, and then having a heated discussion, and you know what they were discussing was, who's taller? (laughs) You know, you remember that excitement for when you were younger, and you're just looking at like, I just want to grow. And maybe you're measuring yourself against uh, your parent. Maybe you're looking at your dad or your mom. And you're going, look, I'm almost as tall as you. And we're so excited about growth. Um, maybe you had one of these. We have a growth chart. I, I know I was talking to Justin about this. And um, I believe, so we've got this growth chart here, which, by the way, this used to be in their old house. And now their old house doesn't have trim work on their garage door anymore. They pulled that out. And they're just marking up the growth that both of their kids are, are um, experiencing throughout their life. You see 4, 15, 19. I don't know how. Man, that's pretty tall. Um, but uh, nobody else got that but Justin. But anyways. Um, but growth is an exciting thing for us as we're a kid. And then as we get older, growth, um, the excitement for growth changes, right? So we get excited about um, what we're learning in school, what we're learning in college, our career, how we can make some money, how we can grow a family. Growth is exciting. And then there are times where that excitement dies down, right? That, that excitement kind of fades away. What was new now is not so much new. And, um, and that fades away. And so uh, when it comes to growth in our spiritual lives, it just made me think about Hebrews chapter 11. And I don't know if you've read Hebrews 11 before, but um, I would encourage you going into the new year, uh, we always, we look at resolutions. We look at how we can embed ourselves. There's a bell right there. And, um, and so in a second here, in about a minute, you said a minute, about for a couple of minutes, another bell will ring. So don't get up and leave and go to another class. That's what it's for. Um, but for some reason, even though it's disarmed this morning, it's still, it's showing disarmed. It's still going off. So let's just try to push, pass through it, right? So, um, but growth, we're looking at growth and we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and it gives us all these different people that are in the Bible that um, we can look at to see similar to like this growth chart to see where we have grown. Like, would I do what this person's doing or have I done what this person's doing or do I need to challenge myself to grow in my faith? Because faith is something that, that God is very much desiring for us to grow in. And so even from before, if, if you're here this morning, I know that there are some of you here this morning, maybe you came from Christmas Eve and then you're joining us again this morning. We're so glad that you joined us this morning. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe this is your first time even hearing about Jesus. But the reality is, is, is way before we make a decision to follow Christ, God is still trying to grow our faith. He's sending signs and he's sending people our way that show us how much he loves us. And then when we get to that mark where we say, okay, now I've, I've, I've decided to give my life to Christ. I'm going to follow him. Then, then that excitement begins. And then as we move along in that relationship, it's easy for us to not be as intentional about that growth, to let it just be something that we're coasting in. 
And so when we look at Hebrews 11, we see different characters in the Bible, different people that lived before us that we can measure ourselves against to go, how much have I grown? How much can I grow? See, when we think about faith, we think about the idea of um, Hebrews 11 starts off and says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it's the evidence of things that we cannot see. The way I, I like to define faith is this. It is our connection with God's perspective. It's our connection with God's perspective. Do we see things the same way that God sees things? And this is what he's challenging us with because the reality is as I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, as I begin to follow him, I still struggle with the way that he sees me, the way that he sees life, the way he sees my purpose. So the more and more I'm connected to how he sees things, my faith is growing. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today is um, one of the stories in Hebrews 11 that I'd like to measure ourselves by to see um, where we need to grow and how we've grown and, and, and what we need to do uh, moving forward this new year. So Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 says this, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac this is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, Abraham reasoned that even Isaac, if, if, if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Now, this is a tough story, right? I mean, what kind of God, what kind of loving God would say, hey, I'm going to promise a son to you. And then when you finally get that son, now I'm going to ask you to sacrifice him. That's a tough, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow, right? Am I the only one that feels that way? Give me a little nod if you feel that way as well. That's tough, right? And so we're looking at this situation. What can we learn from this? What is God really trying to communicate to us? And what was he trying to communicate to Abraham about faith? Well, the first thing is, is that our faith will be tested. We can um, see that in the very first verse there, that God was testing him. And that's the last one, hopefully. So um, Genesis 22 is where we see the story, the, the full story here of Isaac and, and Abraham. So um, we're going to look there. Uh, Genesis 22, 1 through 2 says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, remember, faith is us connecting with God's perspective. So God's got to be thinking something else because God loves us. God loves each and every one of you more than anyone else loves you. God loved Abraham and God loved Isaac more than anyone else. So why would he call him to do such a cruel thing? What is God thinking here? Well, first of all, he's saying, I'm going to test him, right? I want to I see where his faith is, how connected he is with my perspective. Now, tests for all of us come in all different shapes and sizes, right? I mean, we learn what test taking is like in high school and middle school, right? Anybody in here not a good test taker? Show of hands, I am a horrible test taker. And I just get all nervous and I freeze up. But life brings tests, right? And God uses those opportunities to grow us, to help show us where we need to grow as well. They come in all different shapes and sizes, right? Like if you're married, tests come, right? 
If you um, have kids, tests come. If you have a job and, and, and not only is it hard work, but maybe your boss isn't the greatest, tests come. Tests come in all different shapes and sizes. Sometimes those tests are things that God asks us to do, right? Like, um, for instance, I think uh, tithing is, is one. It's a tough one, right? Where God says, hey, I want you to give a portion of your, what you earn back to me. And you say, wait a second here. That's, that's my money, though. And that's a tough thing for us to give up. But God is saying, hey, hey, I'm testing you to see where your heart is. It's not about the church needing your money. It's about where's your heart? Where are your priorities? Sometimes it's moving, right? Sometimes moving, you, you move from one location to another, from one town to another, one city or one state to another. And there's all sorts of tests that come along that way. Sometimes those tests aren't, things that you can control, right? Like maybe how your kids are acting or as they grow up, the bad decisions that they make. And you're wondering, God, how can I get through this situation? Or we said about work, right? About your boss making choices that don't necessarily look best to you or even appeal to you in a way that works best for your job, right? Your career, your career path, you're moving forward. And all of a sudden they say, you know what? It's time for us to let you go or we're going to move you to a different location. Tests come in all different shapes and sizes. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. What we should do is be ready for it because God is trying to grow our faith. In fact, um, last month we've been talking about joy, right? And uh, James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity. That's why I love this, this translation of this verse because it says, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Man, when tests come, we don't always look at it as an opportunity to grow, right? We're frustrated. Or sometimes, even when the test is big, we go, God, I thought you loved me, right? Can you imagine how Abraham may have felt when he says, I want you to give up your only son? Wait a second here, God. This was the path that you had me on. Do you even love me? Do you even care about what I'm going through? But James says that we should consider it an opportunity for joy. What does that mean? That we're growing. For us to have that childlike excitement again. Wait a second here. This is going to be hard to get through. But with God, all things are what? Possible. And so I can get through this test with him, but I've got to depend on him more. And I've got to get his perspective just a little bit more than I have right now. Because this does not make sense what I'm going through. But I'm going to trust you. I'm reminded of tests that people go through that they don't have choices when I talk to different parents and they say, you know what, my kid, I raised them up in the church. I raised them to love Jesus and then they don't want to have anything to do with God anymore. And I don't know, what did we do wrong or how, how did we, what mistakes did we make? Or, and, and sometimes the tests that we go through aren't our choice. But God wants to use that to grow us. And so you'd say, but you want me to count that as an opportunity for joy? Absolutely. Absolutely, because God is still working even when we don't see. So in this hard, difficult time, there's a um, pastor up in Brooklyn uh, named Pastor uh, Jim Cimbala, and I, I really enjoy listening to his messages. I've uh, read some of his books. Great pastor. Um, when his daughter was about 16 years old, 
she uh, decided, you know, I don't have anything to do with God anymore. And just walked away, began to live a different lifestyle. She got pregnant. She's facing all of these trials. And they're just praying for her, and they're just praying for her. But nothing seems to be working. Years go by. Nothing seems to be working. She's not responsive at all. And here they're broken over it. And one night at a prayer meeting, they're there. And, and Pastor Jim, he doesn't like to bring a lot of attention to this. So what he does is he just, he's just at the altar. He's just praying about it. But somebody came to him and said, hey, you know what? Tonight we should, on Tuesday night prayer meeting, we should pray for your daughter. And he said, yeah, I don't like to bring a lot of attention. Not that he's embarrassed, but there's so many needs in this room. Why is that need any more important? We're all, all these needs are important. They said, no, we really feel like we should pray. So he said, okay, let's pray. And so they prayed corporately for his daughter. The next morning while he was getting ready and he's in the bathroom and, and he's just he's shaving and he's getting ready for the day and his wife comes up and says, you need to come downstairs to the kitchen. I'm almost done. No, you need to come down right now. And in the kitchen there on the floor is his daughter weeping. And she said, Daddy, were you, were you guys praying for me last night? And they said, yes. And they said, because last night God revealed himself to me in a different way. And I just realized I need to give my life to him. And so she surrendered her life back to Jesus that day, right when they were praying. What joy that they had. We need to have that joy of knowing that the end result, God is still working even when we don't see through the testing. I don't know what test you're going through right now. But I assure you that even if you feel like God is absent, he is not. He is with you in the midst of that test. And he's building your faith. The next thing is, is we find in uh, Genesis 22, 3, um, we see that uh, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. He took his servants with him along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for the fire and he burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him about. What happened here? Faith requires action. Right, we're getting ready to go into a new year, and um, anybody still do New Year's resolutions? I know a lot of people have just given up on those. Anybody else? By a show of hand, anybody? Okay, it says four of you. Um, so inspiring. Um, I'm going to join a gym this year, by the way, so hold me to that. I haven't joined yet, but January's not here yet either. So... Um, Man, resolutions, right? We start off strong. We say, okay, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to read more books. I'm going to um, go back to school. I'm going I'm to start running more. Whatever it is that you uh, resolve to do around, you're excited about it. You're, you tell other people like, hey, hold me accountable. And then around January 14th, right? It's like, well, something came up. And we're not as excited about it anymore. It begins, faith requires action. If you look at this first, can we put, put that verse back up again? We see action steps. So the very next morning after Abraham heard this, what happened? He got up early. Anybody like doing that? I don't. I'm not an early person. But anyways, so got up early. He got up around 1030 and um, saddled his donkey, right? So he saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants. So he went and got them along with his son. So he got his son and then he chopped wood for a fire and burnt the offering and set out for the place. So he did all these action steps. It all starts with a step. We can say, man, I want to lose weight. And I do. I want to get fit. I want to be in, in great shape. And, and if you know how to just say it and then it happens, please let me know how you do that. 
Because it doesn't. We can say it all we want, but then we have to follow up our desire with steps. And this is what we learn from Abraham. In fact, not only that, we learn this from Isaac as well. I was talking about this message with Justin. He was telling me about a little children's book that he had. And if you've had a, um, a children's Bible and you look up this story, which still, that's a kind of a deep story to put in a children's Bible anyways. But um, in a children's Bible, if you look at, they usually have pictures, right? Or if you were to Google right now, Abraham and Isaac, and you put in Google images, you're going to see a pic, more than likely a picture of what? An old man and like a five-year-old, right? But, it, but most theologians believe that, that Isaac wasn't five. In fact, um, looking at the different storyline of what's going on here, they believe that Isaac was probably somewhere between 18 and 25, maybe, maybe as old as 33 years old. So think about that for a second. Here we have uh, Genesis 22.9 says this, When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now think about that for a second. I mean, to take a five-year-old is one thing. But how many 120-year-old men do you think could take a 22-year-old guy? I, no way. I mean, he must have been in good shape because he just took a, a three-day trip to wherever they were going. But the reality is this, man. If he didn't want to get up there, now, now let's rewind a little bit because Isaac is growing up and as he's growing up, can you imagine how, much, how many times that Isaac has been told by his dad, you are a promise from God. I know that I'm a lot older than the rest of the dads, right? The rest of the dads are 40, 50, 60 years old and here I am, 120, 110. Here he is, a really old guy. I'm a little bit different than the rest of the dads. You are God's promise to me. You have a plan that God has laid out before you. God is going to do great things through you. So all of his life, as they would go out and they would do chores, as they would go out and spend time together, as they would go out and whatever the Old Testament version of throwing a football or a Frisbee or whatever that is, he's hearing about how special he is and how God's plan is for his life. And while he's hearing about this, now all of a sudden his dad is going, okay, now God has some other plan for you. So I want you, we're going to tie you up and you're going to lay on an altar. Now you know what goes on on this altar. So if Isaac didn't want to get up there, he wouldn't have gotten up there. So imagine the faith of a young adult, the obedience of a young adult to say, God, I'll do what you want. Dad, I'll do what you want. I'm willing to get up on what I know is my deathbed. Even though, even though you've told me that, that I've got a bright future ahead. Maybe he didn't totally connect with that. I don't know what his wrestling was. I know it had to be a hard situation, but it took action. And sometimes we don't understand what God is asking us to do. Sometimes we, uh, we look at situations like, Let's say that you've been hurt by somebody, hurt by somebody greatly. And then you're in a service or you are reading the Bible one day or hearing a message on your, um, on your iPhone and, and it says, hey, you know, people have hurt you, but you need to forgive them. And then maybe it goes into the message about how Peter says, well, how many times do I need to forgive them? And then the Bible says, I need you to forgive them 70 times seven. What is he saying? He said, I need you to completely forgive him. 
Or you hear the verse, uh, like, love your enemies. Anybody can love somebody that loves them back. So love your enemies. So maybe you hear a verse like that, and then you begin to struggle because you go, well, God, all of a sudden this name comes to your mind. Have you ever been there before? And while the pastor's speaking, then, then a name comes to mind or an action step comes to mind, and then you're like, well, God, you don't understand. This person's really hurt me. Sometimes we want to hold on to that pain, right? Because we want that other person to feel our pain. And we say, when they feel our pain, that's when I'll forgive them. We don't realize that we're the only ones that are being hurt. It's not fair what they did. It's not good what they did. God doesn't approve of what they did, nor do you approve what they did when you say, I forgive you. You're not saying it's okay. In fact, sometimes if you spend any time with me and you say, I'm sorry, you might hear me say, I forgive you. Why do I say that? Now, usually I say it and then we, we laugh together, whoever says that, because it's an awkward thing to hear, right? I don't know what ladies say, but I know guys, when, when somebody does something to another person and we say, you know, I'm sorry, man. You say, no, it's all good. It's not really good though, right? Because then you wouldn't have to apologize. I'm not okay with what you did, but I'm okay with who you are and I love you anyways, so I will forgive you. I won't hold this against you any longer. This is what God's trying to do in us. He's trying to call us to this place of love. But we say, you know what, God, you've given me this action plan and I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not okay with it. It's hard. But God's trying to change us. It reminds me of basketball. Anybody here play basketball at what, professionally? No, no professional basketball player? At high school, college, um, basketball is an amazing game. I love basketball. And I remember when I was um, seventh grade, eighth grade, somewhere around there, um, I was a pretty good shooter, um, but I had horrible form. So I would shoot from down here, and I would just shoot. And so it was awesome because I could get it in the hoop, but the problem is if you are over four feet, you could block my shot. <laughs> and I'm already not tall enough to shoot like that. So my coach pulled me aside, and he said, okay, I'm going to show you how the how you need to shoot proper form. And so he would say, okay, now you need to keep your elbow in and you need to put your right hand behind the ball and shoot just with your right hand and use your left hand as, to hold it in place. And so here he is showing me this and it's so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable. But over time and over repetition, I got a hold of it. It was action steps. Okay, do this. Now do this. Now flick your wrist. Now you want to look for it to, to go not straight into the basket, but to have an arc. And he's showing me all of these action steps. And once I put them all together, I was a better player for it. Almost made it to the NBA. Um, the last thing is uh, faith is connected to our identity. Um, Genesis 22, 7 through 8. Isaac turned to Abraham and said what? Let's look up there. Isaac turned to Abraham and said what? That's your guys' cue, by the way. So let's try it again one more time. Isaac turned to Abraham and said what? Yes, my son. Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood. And the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Great question. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my Abraham answered, and then they both walked on together. Their identity. You're my what? My son. I'm your what? Your father. That's who I am. They're connected to this identity. It's so important for us to realize that because I believe that's what 
gave Abraham the strength to move forward with what God had called him to do because he was connected to who he was in God. Genesis 17, five through six says this, what's more, I am changing your name. I will, it will no longer be Abraham, or Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and the kings among them. When did, be, when did Abraham become a father? It wasn't when Isaac was born. It was when God changed his name. Way before Isaac was born, God said, you are now a father. This is your identity. God says that to each and every one of us. He says, you know, I want you to be my child. I'm giving you new identity. I'm trying to help you see differently than you've seen. Because you know what? As we grow up, different things and different people give us our identity, right? Sometimes maybe we've heard, man, you're stupid. You're not going to amount to anything. And now that thinking as we move forward in life changes everything about what we do. I don't know what identity has been given to you, but the reality is God has given you identity. He says, you are my masterpiece. You are my artwork. You are, are somebody that I love so much that I would give my son for. I love you dearly. You are not just a mom because of, of your children. You are a mom because I call you a mom. You're not just a dad because of your children. You're a dad because I call you a dad. And sometimes identities can be changed, right? Maybe we are husband and wife, and then all of a sudden something happens, and no longer am I husband and wife, whether they are gone because they've passed away or there's been a split in the marriage. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, now who am I? But if my identity is found in God, then even as life changes things, I still remain the same person I was before. Those are just added bonuses. Who does God say you are? Who does God say you are? James Clear, uh, who wrote the book um, Atomic Habits, says this. The key to building lasting habits is focusing on creating a new identity first. Your current behaviors are, simple, are, are simply a reflection of your current identity. What you do now is a mirror image of the type of person you believe that you are, either consciously or subconsciously. To change your behavior for good, you need to start believing new things about yourself. You need to build identity-based habits. Several months ago, um, there were some dear friends of ours that were um, found out that she had uh, cancer. And so they were over at the house and we were talking about this cancer and we were talking about the challenges that they were going to be facing ahead. And then um, I believe that God brought to my memory this book that somebody had given me that's called God's Promises for Your Every Need. And basically it's just scriptures that are tied to different subject matter so that if you are going through something, you can look up that subject and then read this, what God has to say about it. What are God's promises? So when I remember Abraham, he was tied to the promise that God had given him. And so I just wanted to encourage them. So I gave them this book. And, and then while I was preparing for this message and I was reading about Abraham and I was studying and spending time in prayer, I asked for them to give this book back because I realized something. I was convicted about something. This book was on a shelf somewhere ready for when I go through a problem. I can go and turn to it to remind myself what God says. And what I was convicted about was this. Why do I wait 
to remind myself of God's promise for when a problem comes. I should be looking at this every day. I should be preparing myself because trials and tests are going to come. They are going to come. And God is going to give me opportunity after opportunity to grow in my faith. The thing is this, I, man, I mean, at work the other day, a uh, fire marshal came by and said, okay, I want to see all of your fire extinguishers. And I'm like, okay, where are the fire extinguishers? And so we got to go through the warehouse and look for them and act like we knew where they, oh, and here's one here. And, um, but I didn't know. Can you imagine? I'm so glad we know now because if a fire broke out, we would be like, where are the fire extinguishers? We need to know that beforehand, not after. We don't need to look for it afterwards. It's the same thing with who you are in God, our identity. We shouldn't look for that when we're going through a divorce. We should look for that when we're in, in the middle of a great marriage. Not expecting to go through a divorce, but knowing that problems are going to come. Not waiting for our kids to make some bad decisions, but getting ready for whatever tests come our way. We should take, take time to study God's word, to know what are his promises for me? What are his promises for you? Because there are over 3,000 promises in the Bible for you. Over 3,000. That's a lot. But what God's trying to do is connect us with his perspective, trying to build our faith. As we close, um, Paul says to the Romans, he says uh, in Romans 4.21, talking about Abraham in this situation, he says this, that Abraham, that he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. When you came in this morning, are you fully convinced that God can do everything he promises? Are you? I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I am. I mean, I believe it, but you know how I know that I don't know I'm fully convinced is because I don't always respond to the tests that come my way, like praise Jesus, hallelujah. I, I sometimes respond by throwing something or by getting upset or by going, God, what are you doing here? And begin, my faith is tested. But you know what? I believe that when I look back at 2019, when I look back at 2020 at the end of this year, I would like to be able to say, you know what? I'm still struggling with this, but I'm doing better than I was before. Like, if can we bring those marks back up again when she's playing? Can we just bring those uh, the growth chart back up again? Look at this. When we see, I don't know if you can see this, but Davis... 20, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, February 28, 2015. And then you see December 2015, how much he grew in a year. But you notice that it doesn't start down here and then a year later, he's up there. It's a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. You know, I'm thankful that God is a God that's patient with us in our little bits. He doesn't expect you to get it right now, but he does want to see you grow. He does want to see you grow. And so that's my encouragement to you this morning. Whatever you're facing in life, maybe you come in this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you, God loves you so much. God recognized that we have faults and those faults separate us from God. 
But even though those faults are there, he sent his son to make up the distance between us and him, to take place in the midst of those faults, to show us his love, so we can have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And then as we move forward in life, God wants us to continue to grow and not cruise, but to continue to grow in our faith. And that's my challenge to you this morning. I wish that I could help you grow. I wish I could force you to grow, but we all have to decide ourselves. Will I allow God to grow my faith? How, I, how will I meet the test that God brings my way? Will I meet them with action or will I just say, yeah, I want to get better? And will I take the time to study, to take the time to look at who God says I am so that I can allow his perspective to form mine rather than what other people have said about me, what other, what, whether uh, my own thinking is, is stinking thinking. No matter what any experiences I've had to allow him to form my opinion about who I am, my opinion about my marriage, my, my perspective on my kids, my perspective on life, my perspective on work, about where he's got me, am I allowing his perspective to form my perspective more and more every day? Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more messages like this one.